So uh, tonight we're closing up our uh, talks on evangelism, uh, and we have really aimed at three things in these talks. Um, we have not dove into a lot of like evangelistic methods or, or uh, ways to share the gospel. Uh, and one of the reasons we've done that is, is because of time. We haven't really had much time to think about that. Maybe we will down the road. But another reason why is because uh, evangelism, uh, in its purest form, speaking the truth of who Jesus is, uh, can take a lot of different forms. It can happen in a whole myriad of different ways, in different settings, at different circumstances. And so we want to lay down the basics of what evangelism is. And so we've really had three aims in these talks on evangelism. The first aim was to understand what evangelism is and what evangelism isn't. And you'll remember uh, each time I've used that definition from Max Stiles that I found really helpful in thinking about what is evangelism. And he says, defining evangelism in a biblical way helps us align our evangelistic practices with the scriptures. That is our aim here. And here's the definition he says that has served me well for many years. Evangelism is Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. So it's not just conveying a bunch of facts, but it is sharing the good news, not good advice, but the good news of what Jesus has done with the aim of seeing hearts awakened, people's lives transformed, redeemed, saved, converted, regenerated. All of those things come because of the gospel being presented. We'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute. But aim number two was to begin to build a stronger culture of evangelism in our church. That we want to be a church that's not, oh, we're a discipling church, or oh, we're a missions church, or oh, we're a church that likes to eat potlucks. You know, that, that, that we would be all of those things, and that we would be an evangelistic church. That we would be a church that is set in our culture, our DNA. What makes us up is, is we love to share the gospel. We love to talk about Jesus with people who do not know him. Which brings us to the third aim that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is that we would become more fluent in talking about Jesus and the hope that's held out in him. That we would become fluent in talking about Jesus, that we would be Jesus speakers. And that's the name, well, that's not the name of that book. The other Max Stiles book is Speaking of Jesus. That that would just be what we do. That would be who we are. That would be our language. That we'd be able to speak the gospel with two defining marks. Boldness. That we would not be fearful, that we would not shriek back, but that we would share the gospel with boldness and clarity. That we would know what we're saying and what we mean to say, what we're intending to say. And then both of those we would trust the power of Christ to save. Which gets us to Romans 10. As I said, uh, Brother Dave's going to preach Romans 10 uh, in June. He's going to preach chapters 9 and 10 of Romans uh, probably back-to-back weeks. And so be excited for that. I'm excited for that. Two, two big, giant chapters in the Bible. I think he's going to do a good job in preaching them together. Uh, is going to be really good. But we see specifically in Romans 10 that Paul spends this chapter unveiling the depths of God's grace. He, he's getting to the end of his discussion about the gospel as he's about to move towards more application of those gospel truths in the book of Romans. And so 10, he really gets to the depths of God's grace And so this is what he says, picking up in Romans 10, 9 through 13. This is not our passage for tonight, but I want to set us up. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this idea of calling, this idea of crying out becomes important. becomes important for how we respond to understanding God's grace. This is, Paul, what Paul laying out here, is the very message of salvation, of how one comes to salvation, comes into salvation, how salvation is experienced by the believer. But how is it conveyed? What are the components of evangelism then is really the question I want to answer tonight. And this is what he answers in the passage we're going to look at, which is the next four verses. Romans 10, 14 through 17. This is what I want to look at with you tonight. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. It says, how then will they call? There's that word again, okay? So that's why I bring it out here because it becomes important. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or more literally proclaiming? Okay, so he's not specifically talking about preachers like what I do up in the pulpit. He's talking about this proclaiming, this declaring, this, this almost shouting. I realize I have a tendency to do that. And how is it that they will hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, there are three things, three components I want to draw out here specifically about evangelism from this passage. Now, there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful applications that can be made from this passage as it relates not just to evangelism, but but to preaching, as it relates to missions, as it relates to all kinds of, of gospel ministry. But I want to draw out three truths about the components of evangelism here. So the first one is the essentials of evangelism. And that's what we find in those four questions that are asked there in verses 14 and 15. It's a series of, of rhetorical questions. Paul considers what's literally a, a chain of events that's necessary for a person to be saved. The pieces of, of what we may call the, the human side of evangelism. We see this, as I said, in, verses, in verse 14, which is linked to verse 13 with that word, call. Look back. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? The logic of these four questions makes four things very clear. Number one, people will call on Jesus to save them only if they believe he can do so. So how will they call unless they believe? So if they do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he has done what he has said he has done, And he will do what he says he will do. They will not call on him. So belief here becomes essential. Number two, belief in Christ cannot exist without knowledge about him. This is why training and education and preaching the Bible itself, teaching the Bible itself is so essential in evangelism. I I may say this again later on, but evangelism is not you just sharing your own story. Now, your story is true of how you became a Christian, but to some degree, your story is subjective. It is your own experience. 
But evangelism is sharing an objective truth of who Jesus is. Your story can bolster that truth up, can, can shine that truth out, but the truth remains the same. And unless that truth is known, unless there is knowledge of who Jesus really is, there cannot be belief. Then number three, one hears about Christ only when someone proclaims the saving message. So we cannot believe in Jesus if we do not know who Jesus is. And we cannot know who Jesus is unless we are told about Jesus. Sometimes people are told about Jesus by being handed a Bible. Sometimes people are told about Jesus through listening to a radio program. Sometimes people are told about Jesus through picking up a book. Sometimes people are told about Jesus by slipping into a back pew on a Sunday morning when it's the last thing they thought they were going to do. People hear about Jesus all the time. But this hearing, this learning, this coming to knowledge through someone telling them is essential. I have no doubt, and I'm sure many of you don't either, that God could display His gospel in the trees, in the mountains, in the streams if He wanted to. This is what Jesus says. That, that the rocks themselves will cry out if necessary. But this is not the means, His chosen means, for declaring His gospel. No, it is through His people that He intends the gospel to be made known. And so the fourth thing we learn then is that the message about Christ will not be proclaimed unless someone is sent by God to do so. And so this gets at really... Our own raising up and sending out in, in church revitalization, church planting, missions, whatever it may be. Ministry is we send out those who God has sent out. That, that God is a sending God. This is part and parcel of what the Great Commission is. As you are going to all nations. So summarized here we see that God sends His people to proclaim the message of Christ. So that those who hear will call on Christ. In saving belief. That's those four questions summarized. That's why Paul then was so urgent. In spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. For he believed. That the only way to be saved. Was to hear and to believe the gospel. As we should believe. And we'll see how this truth actually rolls. Right into missions. In the coming weeks. Which brings us to that first quote from Isaiah. You know both of these quotes here. uh, In Romans 10. 14 through 17 come from Isaiah and at the same place. The first one here is from Isaiah 52, 7, which is near the end of, of that chapter, which rolls right into Isaiah 53, 1, which is the next quote. And interestingly enough, both of these quotes then move into one of Isaiah's most famous passages that, that we looked at even this morning in the sermon of the song of the suffering servant. And so we see here this idea of the gospel even in Isaiah's own preaching ministry. He says there then, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Why is this so? Well, since salvation comes only from hearing the gospel, the feet of those who bring the message about Christ are beautiful themselves. This is most likely because the message of Jesus is beauty. That their feet are beautiful, not because they got a manicure or pedicure, but because of the message that they bring. That Jesus is beauty. As John Calvin has said, the gospel does not fall from the clouds like rain, but is brought by the hands of men to where God has sent it. So with our hands and our feet, we go. With our mouths, we proclaim. And practically speaking, what does this mean then as a component of evangelism? 
Well, first, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we, as God's people, are His ordained means of bringing the good news. It's not clouds. It is not rocks. We are God's ordained means of bringing the gospel. Number two, we have an ordained message of Christ's work to save sinners. We have the good news. We know the good news of what Christ has come and what He has done in living a perfect life and then dying as a substitute in our place, paying the penalty that was due us, that by His blood we may be purchased, that we may be bought by Him, redeemed and welcomed into the family of God, that we may become sheep with a shepherd. This is the gospel. This all means that this also means that all who respond to this message with repentance of sin and faith in Jesus are saved. This is what Romans 10 says there just earlier that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This calling on the name of the Lord is a, is a call of faith, is a call of belief. It is a sign that regeneration has taken place. So to call on God for salvation is a guarantee that He will hear and He will save. So this means that evangelism isn't sharing our own personal story, as I said a moment ago. That may be part of it, but us and what we've experienced is not the final say. No, God's Word is the final say. We want to get to the point where we share about who Jesus is and who He is, whether you believe it or not, this is who He is. This also means that evangelism isn't convincing someone that God is simply real. Now, this is what we call apologetics. And it is good to help people understand that that, that this is the world that God created and that everything about this world screams that God is real. That Christianity is the only way to God. That is helpful to be able to defend Christianity against the likes of Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses and Buddhists. That is good and that is right. But this is not, at the end of the day, evangelism. That's what we call apologetics, defending the faith. But evangelism is declaring the good news of Jesus Christ in particular. And so the components of evangelism are giving the people the good news of Jesus with the aim to see God work salvation in them. Which brings us to a sobering reality we see there in verse 16, which is the second component, the reality of evangelism. The reality of evangelism. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? We see here that hearing the gospel is necessary for salvation, but hearing is not enough. The people must also respond with personal trust. And Paul picks up again here from Isaiah 53.1, which prophesies that not all will believe. This was something God told Isaiah when he called him, that you will speak and they will not listen. And we find that this same prophetic evangelism, as it were, continues to this day. Paul picks it up. Specifically here, he is concerned with his Jewish brothers and sisters who has proclaimed the gospel to, and they have continued to not, as he says here, obeyed the gospel. They have not responded with repentance and faith. And it grieves Paul as we share the gospel with others and do not see them respond. It should grieve us as well. It's a sobering reality of our evangelism. But what is that reality? Is it that God's word has failed? Is it that 
God cannot actually save us and that man must actually in the end save himself. How can people be held responsible? It's the big question. If, if God is sovereign and he is the one who saves, the salvation does belong to the Lord, how can we be held responsible? Who's responsible for salvation in the end? Well, let me give you just a few quotes, and I realize I'm already running out of time, but a few quotes from J.I. Packer in Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He said, Man is a responsible moral agent, though he is also divinely controlled. Man is divinely controlled, though he is also a responsible moral agent. To some degree, it is what Packer calls a paradox. There are two things that are both true at the same exact time and create what we hate in our world today, tension. Spurgeon said it this way, that man's responsibility and God's sovereignty are two tracks of a railroad that run along one another and do not meet until they reach the eternal throne of God. This is the reality in which we live, that we operate. Packer says elsewhere, the temptation is to undercut and maim the one truth by the way in which we stress the other. So we say, well, God's sovereign. We always care about God's sovereignty. We always want to talk about God's sovereignty. And we demean and maim the responsibility of man. We do not remind people that they must respond to the gospel. Or we go the other direction and say, well, you've got to make a decision. You've got to pray. You've got to do this and that. And we demean the sovereignty of God. Packer goes on to say, to assert a man's responsibility in a way that excludes God from being sovereign or to affirm God's sovereignty in a way that destroys the responsibility of man. And so the hard work here, the reality to realize, as Packer would go on to say, is our evangelistic work is the instrument that he uses for this purpose. It is God's prerogative then to give results when the gospel is preached. What does all of this practically mean? Well, I'm just going to read these five things. I have a bunch of uh, exposition of these five things. And so if you want to see these five things laid out, I can show you notes afterwards. But here are the five things that this means. That God's power to save makes the believer bold in evangelism. That if God saves, then we can be bold. Number two, that God's power to save makes the believer patient in evangelism. That we don't have to manipulate or rush or hurry, that we don't have to try to force something to happen, that we can trust that God saves. Number three, God's power to save makes the believer confident in evangelism. That if it is God who saves, then we can declare the sweet promises of the Lord, trusting that He will do the work. Which leads to number four, that God's power and salvation makes the believer submissive in evangelism. It was Paul's desire and prayer for his fellow Jews to be saved, as he says in Romans 10.1. Paul bowed before God's will as the creator. So he says in Romans 9.16, So then salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Which leads to number five, that God's power to save makes the believer worshipful in evangelism. That we can worship God in our evangelism. And so, this leads to the final thing, and I'll close here. It is the aim of evangelism. The final component of our evangelism is its aim. Verse 17 of Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Friends, the aim of our evangelism is faith. We desire to see people come to faith, saving faith, trust, a casting and resting of oneself and one's confidence on the promises and mercy which Christ has given to sinners. This is our desire. For them to look to Christ who gave those promises. For them to look to Christ who sits on His throne. A Christ who bears the wounds of His crucifixion. Who lives with a body that will never die again because of His resurrection. This is our aim. That they would put their faith, their hope, their trust, their whole self into living for this Christ. What does this mean for us? That we share the gospel And trust God with implanting that word of Christ in their hearts. This can be reflected even in our own prayer life. We give God thanks for our own conversion. Because we know that it is He who saved us. And we pray for the conversion of others. As we share the gospel. So in these three things then we find the essential components of evangelism. There is only one means of evangelism. Namely the gospel of Christ explained and applied. There's only one agent of evangelism, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. He's the object of our faith. And there's only one method of evangelism. There are a bunch of different ways to share the gospel, but there's one method. The faithful explanation and application of the gospel itself. And so, here are a few things that we can take up in moving forward. Number one, let's aim to build friendships with the hope of sharing the gospel. Very simple. Let's build friendships with the aim of sharing the gospel. Not that people are projects, but we build actual, meaningful friendships with people, sharing the gospel with them, even if it takes 10 years of sharing it, that we would keep going. Number two, let's pray for boldness and brokenness. Boldness and brokenness. Number three, let's trust the Spirit for both clarity and conviction. Let's not try to whoop ourselves into a work where we're, I'm going to evangelize today. Let's ask the Spirit to give us a conviction for it and to make our words clear. That we would walk away from evangelistic conversations saying, I have no idea what I actually said because I trusted the Spirit and He worked. Number four, let's keep going and keep getting out of the way. Keep going and keep getting out of the way. And then number five, Let's see what God will do. Let's step back. Let's see what God will do. Well, let me pray for us and we'll close in song. God, we do pray. We ask that you would give us a greater heart for evangelism. That we would aim to build friendships with the hope of sharing the gospel. That you would give us boldness and brokenness, clarity and conviction. And that we would endure in this work, this race of evangelism that you've set before us. And God, that we would get out of the way. That we would cast aside fears. That we would cast aside awkwardness. That we would be bold. And that we would trust you. As we plant seeds, Lord, we trust that you give the growth. And so would you do it as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.